You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Take your Bibles, open them up, if you will. We're in the book of Matthew 28. We are, man... Unless the rapture happens next Sunday, we're going to be done with Matthew. That just, shoom, just went so fast. A couple of years and we were done with it, man. Uh, Matthew 28. Today we're going to read about what makes Christianity worthwhile. It's what makes getting up, getting ready on a Sunday, coming to church, singing the songs we sing, and doing what we do all worthwhile when we read about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you didn't have the resurrection, we have nothing in this life, nothing worth living for whatsoever. Hey, hey guys, the most foolish people in the world would be the ones sitting in here right now if Jesus Christ had not died and then rose again. It's one thing for him to die with my sins on him and for him to suffer and pay for what I had done wrong. Uh, and, and praise God, my sins would have been paid for, but I would have no justification until Christ rose again from the grave. That's what gives us our life, eternal life, and our ability to be able to have a, a fellowship with him. So while you don't necessarily see the wording that says, and Christ you know, his spirit came back into his body and the body rejuvenated and, and that body rose up from the grave. We don't find those words, but what we do find is all the evidence that points to it. And you cannot really deny it whatsoever. So I want to talk about the significance of the resurrection. The significance of the resurrection, Matthew 28, follow along. Not, not, we won't read the whole chapter, but a good portion of it. And if you'll please stay with me, the most important event in all of time, honestly. Verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. You can only imagine coming upon that uh, event and seeing an angel like that, what it would have done to you. Um, <clears throat> the angel sitting on the stone representing, I'm the one who's conquered it. I am the one who had the grace and strength to be able to remove that and so forth. By the way, that great earthquake that took place is a representation of what the gospel is eventually going to be able to do worldwide as it shakes the earth with a message that the world so sorely needed. So, <clears throat> look in um, verse 3 with me again. His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. And then verse 4, And for fear of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And if you'll remember later on, um, the Bible says that they went and told, you know, hey, this guy's no longer in the tomb. And, and they said, well, you know, just tell him you fell asleep. And they came by and stole him away. And, and I'm telling you, they did not fall asleep with an earthquake taking place like that. 
And uh, with all the other events, that was absolutely a lie, as you would know that. So, verse 5 again, the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord, past tense, lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy. You ever had that? Those two running together, fear and great joy? And did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren... And if you read in the book of Mark, it also says, and Peter. And it's as if the Lord is wanting to specify Peter and draw his name out to show him that he was completely forgiven for the three different times he had betrayed him and so forth. That's in the book of Mark. But go, verse 10 again, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and there shall they see me. There's some really big things being said here. And I know... 2,000 some years later to read these events. We've read many, many times in every Easter service we come. We hear these things all the time. Many of you have taught these things in Sunday schools, junior churches, to your own children. But very significant things are being said here today that we need to grasp and understand. God is trying to help us to have a a God-given record that Christ really did rise up from the grave. They shall see me in verse 10. Now look in verse 11. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, listen to this, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. They're all standing there thinking, we weren't asleep. Uh, we, we fainted. I mean, the earth was shaking. Unbelievable things. But, verse 14, and if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. We'll protect you guys. Don't worry. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. In other words, that lie started back then and now it's being spread from here on out. Uh, amongst the Jews. You even have it still living today, the lie that, you know, that, well, they just slept and the disciples came and stole him away. It's not true. Jesus Christ really and truly rose from the grave. You and I need to be, to be able to have the ability to be able to d- talk about that and discuss that very fact that Jesus Christ, no, he did not just faint on the cross and wake up, shove the door open and come out and all those foolish statements that the world tries to hang on to and try to believe and yet you and I need to be able to share in a logical way why what they're believing is really just a lie and a deception. So let's have a word of prayer and I'd love to get into this message here today. God again we're grateful to be in your house today and you know the need that we all have here this morning. Every one of us sitting where we are sitting God have real and particular needs things that 
man on this earth are not going to be able to help meet. There are things that only God in heaven are going to be able to take care of. So as we lift our hearts towards you this morning, God, I'm praying and asking, would you please bless and help us? Would you talk to our hearts? If there's souls here today that don't know you as Savior, God, would you talk to them and speak to them through the Holy Spirit and minister to us in in, uh, the manner that only God can do. And I'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Guys, I read an article this a couple weeks ago. I was studying for this message a few weeks ago, and and I came across an article that was quite stunning to me. Um, I believe it's something that happened in Scotland. I doubt if many of us have read the article, but maybe you did if it came across some uh, news media. But it starts off with this. I had to condense it a little bit. Pretty amazing to me. Stuart McTier. I don't know if I'm even saying the guy's name right. I do think it's Stuart, though. I'm that smart, but um, Stuart feared the worst as he searched for, listen to this, the bodies of sheep which had fallen victim to the recent blizzards that had struck their family farm. So when the agriculture student dug deep into a 12-foot snowdrift, he was astounded to discover a heavily pregnant ewe blinking back at him from under a huge pile of snow and other dead sheep. Can you imagine that? I mean, you're digging away, trying to find the worst. Sure enough, dead sheep, dead sheep, dead sheep, and one looks at you, and eyes are blinking, and what would you do? I'd probably fall over backwards. Despite being buried for up to 11 days, the four-year-old sheep appeared to be none the worse for her ordeal after being dug out on Monday evening, whenever that was, and has since become... An internet sensation. Not the way I want to become an internet sensation. Just bury me for 11 days, honey, uh, in a a snowdrift. I I want everybody to know about me. So, yeah, interesting. So hold on to that story, if you will. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me just put it this way this morning, guys. Please, uh, can you just determine I'm going to be here on purpose today with purpose And I really want what God would have for me this morning, and I want God to be able to speak to me, and I I don't want to get tired and dreary, uh, you know, weary in in the midst of a service, because I know how we can, all of us, can, can tend to maybe be that way. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation of all of Christianity's faith and doctrine. If we don't have the resurrection, guys, we have nothing. And, and we're foolish for being here today. I mean, go on back out and, and let's go and, and just have a great time somewhere. I mean, uh, why come to church early? Why not sleep in? Why not stay home and mow the lawn? Why not just do anything else other than come to church on a, on a Sunday, one day that I get to rest? Why are we doing that? If we did not have the resurrection of Christ, then everything we do is foolish. You take away the resurrection and you have nothing to stand on. All of Christianity is to be rejected then as just a false religion, just like hundreds of others that are uh, throughout the world. Um, You have nothing really to live for. I mean, what's your life all given for anyway? If, If the resurrection didn't happen, and all the things I've tried to do for these 38 years here at this church and with this congregation, what a fool I've been. For all these 38 years, I could have gone out uh, you know, got, had another job, done many other things. You would have nothing to really live for. 
And as Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 15, which is one of the great resurrection chapters in the Bible, he gets down to verse 19 and says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. In other words, fools. Nothing really to stand for, to have conviction in your heart about. Nothing that would drive my life forward to do things that are right in this life. Guys, but if it is true that he died and rose again, then everything that he claims and states both before his resurrection, but especially after his resurrection, which we'll touch on next Sunday morning, is also true. And every man and woman, if this resurrection really did happen, and we all know it did, amen? It's not a question in our hearts and minds about that, amen? But if it really did happen, then everything that God says, especially after this resurrection, is true as well. And I need to be willing to bow down to the truth of what's being said here. Um, there, are, there are a lot of different reasons given why some people believe Christ never really died or that he never resurrection if he actually did really die back when they were saying that he did. Um, and we've all heard the expression, you know, if you, if you sling enough mud at something, eventually some's bound to stick. Maybe you've even used that expression yourself. Well, can I just kind of walk through, please listen this morning, walk through some of the uh, mud that's been slung at the resurrection. Things that people have tried to say about, you know, yeah, did he really rise from the dead? Oh, come on, really? You guys are one of those that really believe that? You need that crutch to be able to make it in this life? I mean, that kind of mud. Let's talk about it so you can have some kind of a logical answer. And we don't have the time to go into great depth but I'm going to offer just some little thoughts about what the world has tried to say about this resurrection of Jesus Christ. They don't believe it's real. So number one, I already brought it up last Sunday, and I talked about it a little bit. There's this thing out there called the swoon theory. You, we would know it better as probably fainting. And again, as we talked about it last week, this is the belief that Christ didn't actually die on the cross. I mean, he went through all the things that you said he went through, sure, but he just fainted and they took his fainting body from the cross and uh, while he lay in that tomb you know for whatever it was those three days and then he he came to I mean he woke up and realized oh my goodness they thought I was dead and and uh, I got to get out of this place he goes over to this huge stone that's been rolled in front of the tomb and somehow in his emaciated body beaten and torn into shreds and most of his blood has bled out at this point, but somehow was able to muster up enough strength to shove some huge stone out of the way and then sneak away or overcome the guards or sneak around the guards and get away and hide and let everybody pass around this huge deception that, you know, he really died, honestly. He really died and rose from the grave when in fact he just swooned on the cross came around and now was able to escape. Now, that's the most foolish thing I ever heard in my life. I, uh, like I said last week, you take any one man, I don't care who that man is in the world, and you do everything to that man that was done to Jesus Christ. Let's walk through them, just some of them, and I'll miss, I'll miss many of them. Remember the trained Roman soldiers who could kill you with one blow. 
were, were beating his face to a pulp. You could not even recognize. Read the book of Isaiah. It tells you that the way he looked was worse than any other man. His face was beaten to a place you wouldn't recognize him as Jesus Christ. Uh, they had beaten his back. We've gone through this many times. A man named, uh, his title was the lictor. The whip would dig into the back. It would uh, tear hunks of flesh and hide right off the man's body. It would tear into his bowels and so forth. Many times they would talk about uh, men hanging on a cross with their entrails dangling down and organs exposed because of the beating that they had taken. Um, they, they plucked his beard out of his face. They'd beaten the crown of thorns into his head. But, but guys, if that, you think, oh, that's bad enough. So he's hanging there, and they want to make sure all of them are really dead. Remember that? Because the Sabbath was coming on, and they go to the other two thieves, and they break their legs, and they come to him. I think he's already dead. And they, really? You're kidding me. And so one soldier, just, just to be sure, took his spear, are you hearing this, drove the spear into the side of Jesus Christ until the blood and water came gushing out of Jesus Christ, Okay. And then hung there for how many hours on Calvary, bleeding out and dying. And you tell me, let me put all of that on any other man on this earth. And all those things take place to any other man on earth. And you try to tell me that that guy's just going to faint and he's got enough strength to move a stone away. I would tell you, you are foolish. There's no man that could take, if you just had the spear in the side, that could take that. So... Let somebody try that on you, and you would come away saying that's absurd. That's impossible. He didn't just swoon on the cross. There's another theory. It's called the hallucination myth. And this, here's what they say about this, and people actually believe this, that the disciples and other followers of Christ, they just got so emotionally involved with him that it's possible that they, had this, they just had a hallucination of him rising up from the dead. You know, like people who had too much pizza went to bed and they had these wild and crazy dreams. You know, these disciples, obviously they were overcome by emotion and, uh, and it got the best of them. And, and this just hallucinating took place when, they, when uh, they walked away. They were so broken about that. Well, let me just share with you some thoughts. I, if you want to have your Bible open to 1 Corinthians 15, it might be a good place to be on a day like today. You want to run over there with me to 1 Corinthians 15? Um, it's a resurrection chapter in the Bible. And when you get there, go down with me to verse 6. 15, 6. So we're talking about people that just saw a hallucination, all right? This is, the, this is the next great theory that's out there, supposed to convince the world that he really didn't die and raise from the grave. But look in verse, um, what did I say, verse 6? Yeah. In verse 6, the Bible says, after that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. Some had died at that point, but you had guys, hey, hey, hey. 500 witnesses that saw a literal Jesus standing and walking. I mean, it's uh, verse 8, drop down to verse 8. It says, and last of all, he, Paul says, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. But, but he said, those 500 people, while some of them may have died, I also got to see Jesus Christ, he says. If you remember, he was taken up into the third heaven to be able to view him. 
So uh, let, let me say something to you guys. If, um, if I told everybody in here that, you know, this week I got a little bored, and I, you know, I went up to Washington High School, and I met 20 of their seniors that were on their cross-country team that were up there, and I challenged all 20 of these high school guys uh, on the cross-country team, I challenged them to race me to Brandon. And I told you that I beat every one of those guys. I made it to Pizza Ranch. Okay, so there's a reason you go to Brandon, okay? You made it to Pizza Ranch. I got there half a mile before all the other guys. I'm standing there. I'm feeling good and strong. And, and uh, I beat everybody else by a half a mile or more, some of them by a whole mile. But uh, would anybody believe me if I told you that story? You might believe the Pizza Ranch story, but you'd find my car parked somewhere nearby with a warm engine. I'm sure you'd know that. So, you, you know, and I know that's foolish to be able to even talk about something like that. So what would it take? What would it take for you to disprove me that I did not run ahead of all these other 20 guys and beat them to Pizza Ranch? It's a very simple thing to do. What would you have to do? Find 20 guys and ask them, did this chubby gray-haired old preacher beat you to pizza ranch and they would all laugh they would they would let you know the guy didn't even make it out of the parking lot he was sitting on the curb panting and huffing and puffing so you would know instantly my testimony was false and all you'd have to do is check with the witnesses everybody knows that you go to court you go into a courtroom what is it they rely on it's testimony from the people and and for this hallucination theory guys what would they have had to have done to know without doubt that, 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 he, that he didn't, we weren't just hallucinating and that he really didn't really die and rise up from the grave? All you'd have to do is go and talk to the other 500 people or any number of them to find out, no, we literally saw this man in front of us. We touched him. We felt him. Without doubt, Jesus Christ, yes, we saw his death on Calvary, and I have seen him alive standing right here in front of me. So again, the same thing is true of Christ. Think about it. All those people who saw him and, uh, and, and were able to see him could tell you without doubt we were witnesses to the fact that he is alive after his death. Then somebody else comes along. Here's another lie, and if Satan can get it spread throughout the world, then they can deny the resurrection and make all of the world live in misery without the truth that Christ died for our sins. Number three, uh, you ever heard of the wrong tomb theory? It's out there, and they really do believe that. Many people do. And this theory just says that the women, in all of their horrible grief that they were in, and they were, um, but with all that grief and sorrow, they simply came to the wrong tomb when they came back to find Christ's tomb. As there, there, there may have been many similar tombs in Jerusalem coming across an empty tomb, they left and they began broadcasting the resurrection falsely. You guys went to the wrong tomb. You, two doors down was where he really died. And, you, and the, the stone's still across the, his tomb. He's still inside there. But foolish, broken-hearted women, you went to the wrong tomb and uh, found that it was just empty. Nobody had ever really used it at that time. Such foolish women. Jesus really never rose from the grave. Now that's Again, that's another one, and Trudy, thank you for laughing, because that was so foolish for someone to think about that. I mean, really, that did not happen. Three different Gospels 
all point out that 72 hours earlier, the women had made a careful note of the position of the tomb. They weren't going to mistake where Christ laid. You, you read that like we did down through the last couple of weeks, how they sit there and they marked where the tomb was. They knew without doubt. And I've been able to go there and see the spot. They call it uh, the place of the skull with good reason because there's just these cavities sunk into the hillside that looks exactly like a skull. You can't mistake that. And these women didn't come to the wrong tomb. They didn't make such a foolish mistake. Their accusers have. Number four, let me tell you another mud ball thrown at the resurrection of Christ. And this one is the more common one. And this is that uh, the disciples stole the body of Christ and ran away with it hid the body, and then told everybody that he rose from the grave. I mean, it's easy to figure out what's being said here. Some simply believe that somehow the disciples, get this, were able to sneak in, because you've got Romans, Roman guards standing there guarding him, okay? And if a Roman soldier would lose a prisoner, you guys know what would happen to them, right? If you were standing guard and you lost a prisoner, they lost their life. Uh, and so do you really think that the Roman soldiers are standing there so foolishly talking about the game yesterday or what the weather's going to be like tomorrow so blindly that these disciples could sneak through the night, roll a stone away quietly, slip in, grab Jesus, and walk away with a dead body. You ever try to walk with something that's dead weight? Even your little kids that are sound asleep and try to carry them. But a whole dead body, and they snuck right past those Roman guards. Man, those guys were good, weren't they? So, absurd. And I could give you many others. Um, some say that his resurrection was just spiritual, which means uh, his body stayed in the tomb while his spirit was what it was that rose. Do you understand that? So, okay, we'll give you his resurrection of his spirit, but don't try to tell me that body actually came out of the grave. It's natural to understand. Anybody can understand <clears throat> how somebody's spirit can rise up. But don't tell me a body really came out of the grave. That couldn't have happened like that. And yet, that is just one of the many others that are stated. But guys, too many people touched Jesus Christ. Too many people, Mary, fell down and held his feet. Thomas, um, Jesus said, come here, touch my body, touch my hands and my side. Plunge your hand into where the spear went in and pierced me. Stick your hand into where the uh, nails went into my hands and feet. Uh, he sat down and ate with them. I mean, his physical body was literally out of the grave after his resurrection. And it's even more foolish for somebody to say, okay, his spirit rose, but not the body of Jesus Christ. Anyway, the devil can try to get into the heart and the mind of people in this world to convince them that the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not real is, is what the devil will try to use in anybody's life. And for you to be able to sit in a service and to sit there and kind of, and I haven't caught anybody yawning yet, uh, to yawn your way through the service and to act like that's, you know, okay, preacher, you're really caught up about this message and the resurrection of Christ, but come on, really, even with all that you've said, do you still really think the body of Jesus came out of a tomb and that he lives in heaven today? And my answer today is, I believe that with all my heart and soul, and Satan is going to do anything he can to try to get you to doubt 
that Jesus Christ literally came up out of the grave. If he can make you doubt that, or if he can get you to stop feeling conviction in your heart, like I, 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 I not only believe that this Christ rose from the grave, but I need him in my heart and soul. If he can get you to stop thinking along those lines and, and think about anything else other than the fact that Christ went to Calvary, died on Calvary for my sin debt, went to the grave because of my sin, suffered with my sin, but three days later rose up from that grave uh, to give justification and life to you and me. Anything the devil can do to make you stop thinking about that, he's going to do today. And by the way, I've got an idea. Most of us know the Lord is Savior. Amen. Do we have anybody willing to testify to the fact God saved me? Amen. I'm on my way to heaven. If the devil can get you just to be quiet about the resurrection, if Satan can get, just get you to live your life as if you're just like anybody else, but the resurrection really hasn't changed my life a whole lot, then as far as our testimony really goes, you might as well go ahead and say, he never rose from the grave, because how good does it do if you have a message that's never given? Do you understand that? For somebody to really believe that Christ never came out of the, the grave and, and he still, you know, lay there, and, or maybe his spirit came up but not his body, for somebody to, to believe that he is still in the tomb and never rose uh, causes others to not believe in God and uh, to not be saved. But how different is that, guys, than somebody that knows Christ as Savior and God came into your heart and changed you inside out and has given me life that I never had before, an excitement to, to live for something that I've never had a desire to live for. How different is it than when a person is a Christian and closes our lips and never tells anybody about what Jesus Christ did for them? Not a whole lot different, really. God died for my sins, yes. God rose for my justification so I could be saved, yes. But God saved me after I got saved so I would spread that same message to a lost and dying world. That empty tomb and the fact that none of Christ's enemies were ever able to produce a body, they're important indicators to the historical value that Jesus really did rise from the grave. He really did. The biblical account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ Guys, if I just read the Bible, you know, if I, as a little kid, um, I used to hear my Sunday school teachers, my mom and dad, and I'd heard the preacher, they would read the story of the resurrection, and as a little kid, I just believed it, because it's the Bible. You didn't have to convince me otherwise, okay? Uh, but there's also, guys, an overwhelming amount of physical evidence also, proving that he actually rose from the dead. There is. And I know the world, if you're going to get saved, you've got to be saved by grace through, what's the word? Through faith. I understand that. And I understand that you, you can go up to a lost person and they say, I just don't believe that. And I understand you can tell them, but you've you got to get saved by faith. But there's something to being able to say, uh, to, being able to, say to somebody, you know, I, I know you don't believe the story. But have you really stopped to look at all the evidence? And by the way, how many of you know that 
There are many men, wise and worldly wise men, who have said, I'm going to, this is going to be an easy thing to do. I'm going to read this Bible and I'm going to come back with you of all the evidence that how, this was so foolish for you to think that a, a Christ really went to Calvary and died and went into a grave and came out of the grave. If you just give me a chance, I'm going to read this book and I'll come away and I'll prove to you that what you guys believe is just a crutch, it's foolish. And you ought to get away from church and all this religion. You'll be better off when I'm done writing this book. How many of you know of men today who've done that very thing and came away saying, there's no way that, that what that book says isn't true. And got saved and became some of the greatest preachers of the Word of God. You ever heard of those guys? Um, I think Josh McDowell. Isn't Josh McDowell one of those guys that did that very thing? Uh, if you've ever heard that name, it'll be interesting for you to, to even do a little study on the men that actually read the facts and came away saying, wow, I never, I guess I never stopped to realize this is a credible story, that this story really did happen. And then the Holy Spirit was able to use the truth of the Word of God to bring those men under conviction, and they got saved as a result of that. Christians need to be able to uh, be ready to give an answer to every man that asks them a reason of the hope that is in them. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe that Jesus actually came out of the grave when so many people can disprove what you believe? Guys, you need to be able to teach them the evidence of the Word of God and of common rationale even. And I realize, please don't misunderstand me, common rationale is not what saves a man. It is solely the Word of God but you need to be able to defend God's word. You really do when it comes to a subject like this. So you know what I believe? I believe even after Jesus Christ was buried, hey, let me go back to my initial story and borrow that for just a minute. Remember the sheep? Even after they had buried Jesus three days under a blizzard of darkness and death, sadness and sorrow and weeping three days later i want to tell you his eyes still blinked and his hands still held and his legs still walk and his heart still beats today for you and me look down into verse 10 we're back in matthew 28 now look in verse 10 again Then, are you there? Matthew 28, look in verse 10. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. I started reading that yesterday, and I was studying it a little bit, thinking about it. You know, go on back down to Galilee, which was the place where Christ was able to minister in a tremendous way. Uh, much of what Christ did was around the Sea of Galilee and so forth. And it was just a place where um, there wasn't so much turmoil going on. And Christ met his disciples there, and he told them, that is where you're going to meet me. And just like those disciples were told that they, here's his words, they will see Jesus down there. Guys, it's just as true for you and me today. Do you understand? He didn't tell us to go to Galilee and there shall ye see me, but he did tell me to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and one day we're going to meet in heaven one day. I believe that with all my heart. I believe the day is coming I'm going to see Matt Spencer in heaven one day. I believe the day is coming I'll see Marie Spencer in heaven one day. I don't know if I'll call him Matt Marie or mom and dad. I don't know what it's going to be. But I believe with all my heart when I die 
from this old earth and this body is laying in a grave, I'm going to meet Jesus in heaven one day. I believe that because of the resurrection. You and I can take hope and comfort in that here this morning. <clears throat> a lot of years ago, the church sent me and my wife uh, on a trip to Israel. I think it was after our 10th anniversary of being here at the church, I think. And the really neat thing about it was they even bought me a ticket to come back home. Uh, and that was it's one thing. Guys, go to Israel. Oh, yeah, we want you back too. <clears throat> We got to see some really neat things. We got to walk around the Sea of Galilee and see, you know, the place where Jesus preached um, to the 5,000. We got to see that spot. And I'm, I remember hearing the guide tell the story, and I'm like, I'm standing right on that same shore. And I just kind of s- snuck down and reached down. I got a handful of that sand, stuck it in my pocket. I'm going ho- home with sand from the Sea of Galilee and, and little trinkets and things that we got to see and the places where miracles took place and all of it was chill bumpy and that is a word whether it's in the dictionary or not it was chill bumpy to me I loved it I loved everything that we got to see but I'm going to tell you this you could have left everything out that I described flown over you know uh, Jerusalem just drop me down over one spot and let me walk up and see that empty tomb and it would have been worth it all you talk about chill bumpy to see where he used to lay and to know the power of God that it took that angel coming down and removing that stone and that earthquake shaking the whole earth and those Roman tough seasoned Roman soldiers quivering shaking and fainting and, and, and even saying Surely this was the Son of God. And and all of those events that took place there. And for me to stop and realize, right there is where all my sins were laying one day. On that empty spot right there. But He's no longer there anymore. The man that held my sin is gone from there. Just like my sins are also gone today. Man, it did something to me that day to see that empty tomb and to know that Christ still lives today. Praise the Lord. Because that empty tomb, because that tomb is empty, my heart can now be full. (laughs) Remember when uh, Mary and Martha were so broken because their brother Lazarus had died? And Jesus waited on purpose, way far away from a distance. He knew that Lazarus was sick and dying, and he waited until he literally died before he actually went back to visit. And both sisters said, if you had just been here, we really believe our brother could still be alive today. You remember that story? They were so brokenhearted about that. But remember what he said in John eleven twenty five. 25? Here's his words back to them. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life he that believeth in me though he were dead yet shall he live and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die believest thou this and he kind of left that hanging there and i believe that still hangs here today do you believe this if you believe in him you'll never really spiritually ever die you'll constantly be alive in the lord 
So once we become believers, we now have that amazing power of the resurrection, guys. Please understand this. I'm closing with this thought. When I got saved, when you invited Jesus Christ to come into your life and become your Savior, the power of that resurrection is now in you. I don't know how to describe that except to say that it's Jesus. And all that Jesus is through the power of the Holy Spirit is in you today. And the literal power of the resurrection, the power that it took to raise up a dead body from the grave and ascend into heaven and to sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven, that great power now exists in every one of us here this morning. 1 John 3.16, we love John 3.16. Listen to 1 John 3.16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. You know the rest of that verse? And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Before I got saved, it was just me. It was just my emotions. It was just what I could muster up to try to love people around me. Before I got saved, to try to really have a compassion for somebody that was, you know, someone that cussed and swore about Jesus Christ and wanted nothing to do with the house of God, it was all I could do as a young boy to, to learn how to love somebody like that. Why would I even want to love somebody like that? But once I got saved and now Jesus Christ and the power of that resurrection is inside of me, I have the power of that resurrection to be able to do anything that Jesus does. And not only do I have that power, I'm supposed to utilize that power to do everything Christ does. And the heartbeat of Jesus Christ was, I'll come down from heaven, I'll die on Calvary, I'll pay for the sin of the world. I'll rise up from that grave to give them life. And I want the world to know that story. So he puts the power inside of us and says, now go with the power of the resurrection in you and share with the lost and dying world a message that they need to hear. Well, so-and-so is just not real lovely. And, I, and the person I work beside is just not the kind of person that, guys... Before you got saved, I understand those kind of statements. But after you have Jesus Christ alive in you, how can we look at anybody with anything but compassion and a desire to see them come to know Christ in a way that we know? Many of us have loved ones and relatives and friends that God is just something kind of like this, you know, just, okay, just don't want to talk about it so much. Just, just leave him over there. Do you have a heartbeat for those? Do you have a desire to see relatives and loved ones and friends come to know Christ it's one thing and I and I had no doubt that I would start preaching about the resurrection that I, I you know there'll be a few amens here and there and that if I said how many believe in the resurrection I think every hand would go up because that's an exciting subject to talk about but the real question today is what has that done for you in your life today what is it doing in your life and heart today to change you and mold you into the image of Christ if you know a loved one, a friend that needs Christ as Savior, I mean, today would be a great day to just beg that God would touch their heart and soul and that God would use somebody like me to be able to share the power of the resurrection with them, to try to be a blessing and a help to somebody else. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.